Welcome to the NCJA podcast. This podcast series explores promising practices, provides guidance on strategic planning, and discusses how the Burn Justice Assistance Grant Program, or Burn JAG, contributes to improving justice systems across the country. We hope you enjoy it. This episode was produced thanks to the contributions of NCJA members. To learn more about becoming an NCJA member, visit ncja.org membership. Welcome to the NCJA podcast. My name is Bethany Broida, and I am the Director of Communications at the National Criminal Justice Association. On today's podcast, we will continue our conversation about the Burn Justice Assistance Grant, or Burn JAG, and discuss the Burn JAG penalties that are tied to this funding with NCJA's own resident Burn JAG expert and Director of Government Affairs, Elizabeth Pike. If you've not yet had a chance to listen to our Burn JAG 101 podcast, I invite you to do so to learn about the basics of the program and the role it plays in advancing promising practices. Today's podcast will delve further into how Burn JAG supports public safety and why these penalties are so detrimental to the program. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us to discuss this issue that is under so much discussion right now and is so often misunderstood. Nice to be doing this with you again, Bethany. So let's get started. What do you mean when you say bird jag penalty or penalties? We mean the mechanism Congress uses to encourage new state or local government policy by threatening the funding of an existing grant program, in this case, burn jag. Because under our system of government, the federal government really can't tell state and local governments how to run their justice systems. They can set standards or expectations, but not really compel them to adopt certain policies or practices. So they can encourage new laws or policy by funding new grant programs, or they can pass legislation telling states what to do and take away existing grant money if they don't do those things. The policing reform bills under discussion in Congress are illustrative of this, though admittedly also a little difficult because the Justice and Policing Act that passed the House earlier this year won't be the final bill. And we understand more recent negotiations have moved considerably on the treatment of penalties. Nonetheless, those efforts seek to require states and localities to pass laws and adhere to certain policing practices. And if they don't, they would not be allowed access to their burn jag grant. Have there always been penalties on burn jag? Well, not always, no. Currently, there are three penalties attached to burn jag funding the Sex Offender Registration and Notification Act, or SORNA, and the Prison Rape Elimination Act, or PREA, were passed about a decade ago. And then there's the more recent Deaths in Custody Reporting Act, which is at the discretion of the Attorney General. And together, these penalties total about 25% of a state's annual burn jag award. Why is burn jag used as a penalty? Well, that's a really good question, Bethany, and has entirely to do with congressional rules. Bills have to be germane within themselves and to each other. So you can't, for instance, penalize a state's transportation highway trust funds for failure to adopt a criminal justice policy. And Burnt JAG's greatest strength is its flexibility, allowing states and localities to make investments across the entire justice system. But that also means it is germane to almost any requirement Congress wants to impose on justice practices. Bills are introduced all the time that include a burn jag penalty, but those are the ones that have passed to date. Do penalties work? Well, yes, up to a point. 
They can definitely be effective for getting the attention of a state legislature or a governor. They're ineffective when the mandate is too costly or complex, when the penalty is out of balance with what is being asked. We know this because we have 15 years of history with the SORNA penalty. That bill passed in 2006 and put requirements on states that were both costly in money and in political capital, and the specific actions required were far more detailed than most federal laws. 15 years later, only 18 states have met all the requirements of the act. The remainder take the penalty every year. So that certainly isn't effective, or at least it isn't any longer effective. You noted the three penalties currently on burn jag and the possibility that a final policing bill could add even more. Is there a tipping point beyond which they just can't be effective as a means for encouraging state and local practice? There's no question there's a tipping point, though we may not know exactly where that point may be. But again, policing reform can be illustrative here because at least those earlier versions would definitely go over a tipping point. Why do you say that? Because of the way the penalties were initially constructed. There wasn't just one, say, 25% penalty for complying with the entire bill. Rather, each of the 10 or so separate mandates, many were very expansive, would be attached to a separate penalty, and many of those penalties would be 100% of the grant, and they would stack on top of each other. In the House bill I talked about earlier, the penalties would total 700% of a state's annual burn jag award. That clearly seems to go beyond a tipping point. I see. Well, it seems self-evident, but what would that actually mean for a state and their burn jag funded programs? It's an important question because I don't think the answer actually is self-evident. I think a lot of people think that when they're penalizing burn jag to, in this case, incentivize policing reform, the penalty is only on the police. But as we discussed in the earlier podcast, states and local governments invest burn jag dollars in programs and initiatives across the entire justice system. So when the grant is penalized, those programs lose their funding too. Those hundreds of burn jag funded programs, the specialty courts, law enforcement-led diversion, reentry programs, they would all be impacted or even completely wiped away also. So that goes back to the point you raised earlier. People talk about grant conditions as incentives, but it sounds like you don't think they are an incentive or at least enough of an incentive. Usually when we think of incentive, we think about getting something added, some benefit for doing what is being asked. But unless Congress were to grow the overall pot for burn JAG or other justice grants and provide new money specifically for a new policy, one state's gain would just take away from another state, so it's still just a penalty. The other thing is, burn JAG plays a really substantial, meaningful role in the criminal justice reform movement, as we talked about in the first podcast, but it's still just a very small amount of money not nearly enough to incentivize anything that costs a lot of money to comply with. How do you mean? Most people are pretty shocked to learn that burn jag contributes less than one quarter of 1% to what states and localities spend on policing, let alone wider public safety. Honestly, I was pretty shocked when I saw the data, but I guess when you think that NYPD's annual budget is what, 5 billion, while burn jag nationwide is only 350 million, it does make sense. And burn jag reaches fewer than 1,500 of the nation's 18,000 local law enforcement agencies. 
And most of the grants to police agencies are just a few thousand or a few tens of thousands of dollars. So these penalties provide no leverage or very weak leverage over the majority of local law enforcement agencies. So it's a matter of scale. Yes, exactly. You have to compare it to the cost of what is being asked. Again, thinking about the policing bills, the Congressional Budget Office estimates that just the data reporting provisions alone would cost several hundred million dollars. So yes, it's a matter of scale of the penalty compared to the magnitude of the task of compliance. Now, if the cost of compliance is minimal, then the potential that a penalty will be effective is stronger. Do you know of any other federal grant programs that use penalties the way they're used for burn jag? Very few. There are some conditions on the COPS hiring program, and there is one different model. In the Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention Act, for example, standards are set in the program, and those same dollars are penalized or shifted in how they must be used. It doesn't penalize a different grant program, though, the way this would. So what can Congress do to encourage states to do these things? Well, first of all, they should and could cover the costs preferably by formula so that all states and localities can access the funds. And they can and should provide technical support to ease the burden of complying. This is really important and often very overlooked. You know, none of these things are easy to do. DOJ should help state and local law enforcement, and they do help them through training, off-the-shelf software, or other supports and to make sure to do research and issue clear guidance on what constitutes compliance before grantees are expected to comply, because no one should have to reinvent the wheel, particularly small and rural communities who just don't have the capacity to assume the burden of complex new requirements or the resources to apply for federal grants to do so. But also it should be noted that any penalties can be more narrowly targeted Currently, particularly in how they are being considered in policing reform, the penalties are a pretty blunt instrument. Congress instead could be much more targeted or surgical in their approach, which would have fewer unintended consequences and actually be a lot more effective. Is there anything else we haven't covered? Well, I would just like to add one thing. I've talked a lot about the efficacy of penalties using policing reform as the example, because as you said at the beginning, those bills are being negotiated right now and are so illustrative of the challenge of burn jag penalties. But I want to be clear, that doesn't mean that we at NCJA are opposed to those underlying policies of policing reform or SORNA or PREA or deaths in custody or any others that might yet come. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We just want whatever Congress passes to work. And we know that penalties that far exceed the cost of compliance just can't work as intended. I think we will need to leave it there. There's so much more to discuss, though, about the mechanics of the Burn Jag program, and I hope we will on future podcasts. In the meantime, I want to thank everyone for listening. To learn more about the Burn Jag program at any time, we invite you to visit the NCJA website at ncja.org and visit the Investing Burn Jag section. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.